0: good morning Mercy Culture it's good to see you guys this morning in the rainy tent welcome to the tent y'all um, just to let you know it's a little loud so so you were just gonna have to lean in to listen but just to let you know this is not our permanent solution so we will not forever have rivers of water running down the aisles but in the meantime this tent belongs to the Lord amen But we are we have purchased the building that you see right out the entrance right there that big white building and we are Working on that right now and remodeling it and we will be moving in in the next few months and it's gonna be awesome But in the meantime, God is in the tent My name is Les. I'm the lead pastor here at Mercy Culture Church as my wife said earlier where we love God we love people and we love Mercy the vision of mercy culture is to take people from corporate encounters with God to daily personal encounters with God And what that means is is it's simple It has never been our goal to simply build a big church or to simply have good services But how many of you enjoyed that worship service that we just had? incredible Thank you worship team, but that's not our goal. The goal is that we go from experiences like that with God to daily personal encounters with God. Daily personal encounters. Because we know, I've been serving the Lord a long time, and I've been in ministry for many years, and I know that I have never seen anybody successful in ministry or successful in their walk with the Lord without encountering God every single day. But one of the One of the obstacles to encountering the Lord is if you grew up like me, I I grew up thinking that there was really only one way to encounter God, and it was sort of a quiet time, right? You kind of get into your closet, you open up a book, you read your Bible, you go through your quiet time. There was one way to encounter the Lord, but at Mercy Culture, we believe that there is one way to God, and that is through Jesus, but in Jesus, there are many ways to connect with God. And we want to help you figure out the way that you best connect with the Lord. And we do that through a process that we call MC Connect. If you text the word connect to the number 59090, you will get uh, some information sent back to you. And we want to help you to discover how you best connect with God. MC Connect is your first step into becoming involved and joining the community of Mercy Culture Church. But... Most importantly, it is the way in which we disciple people into daily personal encounters with the Lord. Well, honor is one of the values here at Mercy Culture, and I want to honor one of our elders that is here this morning. Pastor Ryan Smith is here with us. That's all right. Stand to your feet. Let's honor Pastor Ryan. Makes her very uncomfortable, so that's what I'm going to do. Pastor Ryan and Pastor Abe are one of the elders from Fort Worth that are, um, every pastor needs a pastor. And Pastor Abe and Pastor Ryan are two of mine and Nikki's pastors, and we just love them so very much. And um, I love all of the piano players at Mercy Culture Worship, but she's my favorite. All right. I love you all. You're not supposed to have favorites, but praise the Lord. If you would like to see the notes that are in front of me, if you'd like to have those sent to you, just text the word NOTES to 59090. And before we jump into the message, I want to say one more thing. Get in a group. Get in a group. Get in a group. Get in a group. Small groups have recently launched here at Mercy Culture Waco. And if you'd like to join a small group, text the word WACO GROUP, just one word, WACO GROUPS, sorry, WACO GROUPS to 59090. And the uh, groups list will be sent back to you. You can sign up online, join a group. It is the best way to join together in community here at MC Waco. Well, we are continuing our series this morning, expanding territory through heaven's culture. Today, I want to preach on the war on excellence. Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning in verse 20. Says this, and David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. So, this David in this story, everybody knows David. We know King David. We know David in his battle with Goliath. But at this point, David was nothing but a lowly shepherd boy. He was the youngest, the smallest, and probably at this point, the least impressive son of Jesse. And Jesse told him, hey, I want you to leave the sheep that you're taking care of with the keeper. Take these provisions, this food, take it down to your big strong brothers who are fighting for the nation of Israel on the battlefield. And so David went to do that as his father had commanded. The Bible goes on to say, and he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with him, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. See, Goliath had been cursing the army of God for days and days. He stood before the army and cursed them. And this was the first time that David was able to hear what was happening. It said, And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? I love this. They just told David what would be done for the man that killed Goliath. And David goes, hold on just a second. Let me just get some clarity here. You mean if I kill him, tell me what's going to happen again? I'm going to get money. I'm going to get riches. I'm going to get a wife. I get to live tax free. Repeat that one more time. And then David says, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And David, the people, no, I'm sorry. And the people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. Most of us have had an Eliab in our life at some point. His anger was kindled against his younger brother, and he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Eliab began to belittle the things that David was called to steward. He said, I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him and toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. And when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul and Saul the king sent for him. I've come to tell you this morning that excellence gains the attention of the king. Let's pray together. Father, we give you this room this morning. We don't make room for you, Holy Spirit. We give you the room. This place belongs to you. Our lives belong to you. This message belongs to you this morning. So Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to receive. Open up our spirits to receive from you. Lord, I thank you that nobody came to hear me. We all came to hear you. So speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Father, I rebuke every spirit but the Holy Spirit. And I lay down performance, comparison, and the need to impress. God, move through us today. Let your words be heard in Jesus' name. Somebody say amen. Amen. Well, 2022 is the year of expanding territory at Mercy Culture Church. That is the prophetic word over this house for this year. And if it's the prophetic word over this house, it's the prophetic word over your house. And I hope that we are stewarding this word well. And I said it a couple of weeks ago. As we enter the final quarter of the year 2022, do not grow weary in well-doing. Continue to steward the word of the Lord. It is the First Chronicles 4, 10 year. Said, and Jabez called upon the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge and expand my territory. Put your hand of favor upon me and keep me from all harm and evil, that it might not bring me pain. I hope that you are continuing to pray that prayer over your family every single day. As we were preparing to launch Mercy Culture Waco, we were leading into this past Easter when we first launched. I was, a lot of people were coming to me and bringing visions and things that were in their heart and things that they wanted to do and i was taking it before the lord and asking god about housed visions and all of the incredible things that mercy culture does in fort worth and when, god what is the timeline for waco and what are you going to do in our city and i heard the lord say that in 2022 he was going to establish mc waco as a force to be reckoned with in this city And I saw the hand of the Lord placing uh, foundation stones on our foundation. And he was shoring up the foundation of this city. And he said, be ready in 2023 to run with great vision. So as we come into this final quarter of the year 2022, God is establishing the foundation of Mercy Culture Waco. God is establishing this house as a force to be reckoned with. And so we are diving into the culture. If you serve on our serve team, if you've been through MC Connect, you've heard about the culture of this house. And we've heard from God. The culture of this house is not just something we came up with. It's something that our elders and our pastors and our leaders fasted and prayed and asked the Lord and went to the word of God. And this is heaven's culture and his design for this house. And our culture Consists of four elements first is our vision. We know what that is To take people from corporate encounters with God to daily personal encounters with God The second element is our unique characteristics. This is why we planted the church I'm not going to go over all of them today But you have a culture card sitting on your seat that lists all of these things the third is our leadership standards This is the people that we empower who do we empower these are the non-negotiables and then lastly are our values And we are taking a value every week for the next several weeks and diving into those values. How many enjoyed our culture panel last Sunday? Is that awesome? I want to remind you that culture is always being built. The question is, is it being built with intentionality or is it being built accidentally? Culture is very simply this. It is what you both tolerate and celebrate. I promise you that culture is being built in your family, culture is being built in your job, culture is being built in your business, and it is certainly being built in our church. Are we doing it with intentionality? Are we doing it accidentally? Today we're going to dive into the value of excellence, and we put it this way. Excellence means to give your all. We represent the Lord by doing the best we can with what we have. Why? why is excellence a value well it's found right in the definition right in the definition that we've come up with it is simply because we represent the lord excellence is not for others excellence is for the lord it's for god because god cares about the details we see it in Exodus beginning in chapter 25 all the way through verse 31. God lays out in great and painstaking detail the way in which he wants his people to build his house. He tells them the material he wants to use. He tells them the dimensions of the temple. He tells them what craftsmen he wants to craft, what pieces, and how he wants us to worship him. It is laid out for us in painstaking Detail and God is in the details. He cares about how we present ourselves, He cares about excellence. We see it in Daniel chapter 5. Daniel is an Israelite, he's a Jew, he's one of God's chosen people that is living in exile in the nation of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar, the leader of Babylon, is called his. His, his advisors together and he says, I want to get some men of excellence around me. I want to find people that are just a step above others around me and in verse 12, the Bible describes Daniel as a man with an excellent spirit. It points out Daniel's character, Daniel's integrity, Daniel's excellence in his appearance, his work ethic. You see, Daniel was different from the rest of the Babylonians. Daniel dressed differently. Daniel spoke differently. Daniel ate different foods than the rest of them ate. Daniel refused to bow down to the same things that the rest of them bowed down to. Daniel walked in an excellent spirit, and his excellence revealed the true and living God to the pagans of Babylon. What revealed Jehovah to King Nebuchadnezzar? It was the excellent spirit found within Daniel, which explains why we are living in a society today that is at war with excellence. We see this manifest in many ways. We see this in the art world. We see what we've lived with for, what, what used to be considered art, and Michelangelo sculpting incredible sculptures of beauty and then today, Go ahead and put that graphic up on the screen. Today, we see Michelangelo's sculpture on the, right, on the left, or that's your left, right? Yeah, your left, and on the right, you see what goes for art today. This is called an exhibition of a walk through excrement. It is actually sculptures of human feces. And I know that we find it funny, everybody's laughing. I know my kids thought it was funny when I showed them. We find it funny, but this was actually reviewed in the New York Times. You don't get more prestigious than the New York Times. It was reviewed in the New York Times and it was reviewed positively. And the critic who went to this exhibit said that before you walk through the exhibit, you go to a room and you put on over your clothes an anatomically correct nude suit and then you walk through sculptures of human excrement. And this won the highest level of art awards around the world. We see the war on excellence played out in architecture. This next picture is a picture of the Orange County Museum of Art, where they have sculpted a giant dog who's lifted his leg and urinating on the side of the Museum of Art. The irony of this is the art that is contained inside this Museum of Modern Art is worthy of the sculpture on the outside. We see the war on on excellence played out in music. When music was designed to exalt the living God, you heard music like they're going to play now. Thank you guys. So, this this is Beethoven. Every time I hear this, I think of of Bugs Bunny. You ever seen that Bugs Bunny commercial? You go, remember that? This is Beethoven. So, Beethoven wrote music to glorify the Lord. And today, the War on Excellence, this is modern classical music. Guys, go ahead and play it. I'm not kidding. That is actually, somebody said I can play that. Exactly. (laughs) This is the new take on modern classical music. It is called atonal music. It means it has no key, it has no rhythm, it has no tone and that is considered excellent and it is positively reviewed in the most prestigious papers in the world. There is another piece written by a world famous pianist. It's called 433. And he goes before packed concert halls, and he sits down at a piano in silence for four minutes and 33 seconds. And that is considered excellence. Just this week, a sculpture was sold by a world-famous artist for $18,000, and the sculpture doesn't exist anywhere except for in his mind. This is the war on excellence. And I know it's funny. Listen, whenever I was looking up these things, I was laughing. It's funny, but it's really not. Why? Because there is a war against the excellence that God has placed within each and every one of us. God created you in the image and likeness of God. He created you to pursue the best that you can with what is within you. And the enemy has waged a war against that pursuit. You see, for most of human history, artists and creators created to exalt God and to elevate mankind. And wherever the goal is to exalt the Lord, the result will be excellence. But when the goal no longer is to exalt God, the result is what you just saw. So if there are areas in your own life that are lacking excellence, those may just be the very areas that you have yet to invite God in to inhabit. Gotta ask yourself if my car is trash, if my car is filled with garbage, maybe I haven't stewarded this car as unto the Lord. Maybe I haven't received the revelation that the vehicle that I have belongs to God and it is for His glory. If my home is consistently filthy and dirty and falling apart and in chaos and disrepair, maybe I haven't invited God into the home and I don't steward my home as unto the Lord. If my marriage is a disaster and there are cracks in the foundation and I say things like, well, my wife isn't going to leave me if I don't take her on a date telling her I love her in the morning that's good enough if I steward my marriage and my family and my children in that way maybe I haven't invited God into that space and I'm not stewarding this as unto the Lord and why is there this war on excellence because there is a war against the biblical order of God At the core of excellence is a simple concept. It is the concept of distinctions. As a matter of fact, an alternate definition for excellence is the word distinct or set apart or different from the rest. It's not surprising that excellence matters to God because God is a God of distinctions. We see it from the very beginning of creation. God separated the firmament. From the earth he separated the land from the waters he made a distinction between night and day and even more uh, significantly God created distinctions between God and man you see throughout human history and the primitive religions before the Torah was released to the to the earth God and man were mixed together if you ever read about ancient religions you read, there, there was always a sexual relationship between the gods that they served and humankind. And God came in and said, no, there is a distinction between God and man. There is a distinction between God and nature. Primitive religions all worshipped the nature. It was the worship of the sun, worship of the moon, worship of the planets, worship of Mother Earth. But God came along and said, no, there's a distinction. I am a God not of nature, but above nature. And today we see that war against the distinction between God and nature. There is a distinction between human and animal. God said, no, there's a difference between the animal kingdom and mankind. Man is created with the breath of God. Man is created in the image and likeness of God. There is an eternal soul that lives on the inside of humankind, but there is a war even against the distinction between man and animal. When you begin to read academic papers or in the newspaper, if you've noticed a subtle change over the last decade or so, they stopped saying humans and animals and they began to write humans and other animals. Because there is a war against the God of distinctions. We see things like what's coming up on your screen from PETA, the people for the ethical treatment of animals. This was a nationwide marketing campaign called Holocaust on Your Plate, where PETA equated the murder of 12 million Jews in the Holocaust to the meat that we eat as humans. Why? Because there is a war against the distinction between human and animal that a cow is no less valuable than a human being there is a war against the distinction between good and evil god said i call good good and evil evil he laid out for us what was good and what was evil and we are truly living in the last days that the bible describes where a man will call good evil and evil good god is a god of distinction between life and death And today we see that war against that distinction. We live in an abortion culture of death. The leading cause of death for black Americans is abortion today. According to Common Sense Media and the Canadian government, in 2017, 2,838 people opted for assisted suicide or euthanasia. By 2021, that figure jumped To 10,064, accounting for more than 3% of all deaths in the nation of Canada that year. Why? There is a war against the God of distinctions. God is a God that distinguishes between the holy and the profane, distinguishes between male and female. And I don't have to tell you about the war that we are experiencing against the distinguishing between male and female. We are told today you can be one gender or the other gender or neither gender whatsoever because there is a war against the biblical order. We are told that sameness is the goal. There is no thing better than any other thing. There is no truth better than the truth. It's your truth and your truth and my truth, there is no truth higher. We are told that there is no value system better than any other value system. Just because you value a monogamous relationship between one man and one woman married and raising children and they value a polyamorous relationship with multiple partners raising children, there's no distinction. One is not better than the other. We are told, we are seeing that through lifestyle decisions or any life decision, it is sameness and nothing is better than anything else because we've abandoned the pursuit of excellence for the pursuit of equity. I could feel that tension in the room. I'm going to lean into it because equity is a buzzword. And equity is something that you hear talked about all the time, and it's something that is in our culture always. So just hang with me as I describe and break this down. You see, equity is the opposite of excellence or that distinction being set apart. This is the definition of equity it says, whereas equality means providing the same to all, equity means recognizing that we do not all start from the same place. And must acknowledge and make adjustments to imbalances. Or put it this way you change the standards of excellence because we expect less from certain people. It is the soft bigotry of low expectations. It says, instead of giving you a hand and helping raise you up to a level of excellence, we will lower standards because you're really not capable of it. And we call it equity and hold it as a virtue. And really, it's bigotry. Because we say in society, we are no longer looking for the best. We are looking for the same. We don't want the best outcome. We want everybody to have the same outcome. It does not mean to offer help or assistance to reach the standard of excellence set forth. It means to abolish excellence for the pursuit of sameness. And we see this concept of equity that has perverted the sense of excellence work its way through every sphere of society in the greatest orchestras in the world there has been a decades-long tradition called blind auditions when you come in to audition for an orchestra you audition behind a very thick black curtain so those that are auditioning you do not know your name your race your gender your socioeconomic status your weight how good looking you are how not so good looking you are they know nothing about you the only thing they know is how well you can play Or how poorly you can play and they make their decision based upon that but equity says that's not enough and the leading music critic in the New York Times wrote this article that's coming up on your screen it is time to make orchestras more diverse by ending blind auditions they say remove the curtain so that we no longer make decisions based on excellence alone we need to know what gender what color what sexual orientation the person that we're auditioning happens to be. See, equity should not be our goal. Equality should be our goal. And we see this played out in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 15. One of the earliest scriptures in the Bible. This scripture is 3,200 years old. And it says, Do not twist justice in legal matters matters by favoring the the poor in court. Or being partial to the rich and powerful, but always judge people fairly. Even 3,200 years ago, the wisdom of the Bible said not only should you not favor the rich and powerful, but you shouldn't favor the poor either. Justice requires equality. Now there are some counterfeits to this word excellence. And I know for some of you, for some of us in this room this morning, excellence may be a trigger word for you. It may be something that you've received, you've had hurt either in a previous work environment or even in a church environment where the word excellence was used to abuse you into performance. It was used to abuse you into perfectionism, into people pleasing, into making you do and manipulate you. But excellence is not performance. In 1 Samuel, let's go back to 1 Samuel chapter 17 beginning in verse 38. It says, then Saul clothed David with his armor. This is after Saul heard about David's bravery and heard about David's pursuit of being distinct, being separated from the rest and walking in excellence and saying, I'm not going to be fearful. And so Saul called him to him and he said, all right, I'm going to let you, little boy, go ahead, go get killed. There's no skin off my back, right? I'm going to let you go out there and face Goliath. Good luck. He said, but I'm going to give you some armor. And he put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Somebody say tested. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these For I have not tested them, so David put them off. You see, Saul's armor had the look of excellence, but it didn't fit. David resisted the temptation that so many of us fall into, and that temptation is picking up somebody else's tools that we have yet to test. David said, no, 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 I have tested tools, and they may not be as shiny they may not be as fancy. They may not be as ornate and beautiful as the king's tools, but God gave me tools to steward. He gave, me a soul, he gave me a sling and some stones, and I've been stewarding those tools, and I have slayed the bear, and I have slayed the lion, and I can slay this giant because I'm going to do the best with what I have. You see, performance tries to get you to do the best with what somebody else has. Performance, the definition of performance really, at its core, is an act. It's taking other people's gifts and wearing them as your own. A performer or an actor is somebody who's simply pretending to be something or someone that they are not. Performance is the opposite of authenticity. It's acting out a story that isn't yours, It's trying to lead, trying to worship, trying to parent, trying to be a good spouse from a history that doesn't belong to you. And excellence is doing the best with what you have. You see, excellence requires humility to acknowledge what you have and acknowledge what you don't. Performance isn't about the details, it's about the audience. And We get that confused and sometimes we think that people who care about the details and people that focus on those things or that care about moving and walking in excellence that they're somehow less spiritual or less holy than others. But it's not about the focus on details. It is about who is the audience that I am working for. When we're building for us, it's performance and when we're building for him, it is excellence excellence is not perfectionism the spirit of excellence is easy because it comes from a place of dwelling in his presence but perfectionism is hard because it comes from our own efforts perfection is perverted excellence it's the enemy's counterfeit to God's design Perfection sneaks into our life when the thing that we're stewarding for the Lord becomes our idol. That gift that you have, if you're a musician, if you're a vocalist, if you're a worship leader, if you're a businessman or businesswoman, even a husband, a wife, a mother, or father. When that thing that God has given you to steward becomes greater and bigger than the God that gave it to you, you will step into perfectionism. Perfection requires striving, and excellence requires trusting. How do we fight against the spirit of perfectionism sneaking into our lives? We pray this simple prayer. It will never be mine. It will always be yours. It belongs to you. Excellence is not excess. Excellence is a heart posture to please the king, and excess is a desire to impress people. I'm going to give you a warning this morning. When you begin to go and be above and beyond, and you begin to walk in excellence, you reveal the apathy of others. And people will start to belittle what you're stewarding well in order to conceal what they are stewarding poorly. They will call your excellence excess. They will call it performance. They will call it perfectionism because your excellence reveals their apathy. We see it in David's life. Back to verse 28 in 1 Samuel 17, it says, Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. Eliab, in his mind, is saying, Who does this little boy think he is? We've been down here. We're bigger. We're stronger. We've been given the authority to fight in this battle. We've been down here on the front lines. And this kid comes down and has the audacity to start talking about how he's not afraid and he's ready to face this Goliath. And his anger was kindled against him. And he said to David, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few little sheep in the wilderness? You see, people who aren't stewarding well what's in their hands will belittle what God has put in your hands. They will begin to talk down to you, begin to belittle the thing that God's called to put into your hand. But you see, David was such a man of excellence that even as he was going to the front line of the battle, he stewarded those few sheep well. The Bible says he didn't leave the sheep in the wilderness. It says that he left the sheep with a keeper. David said, I know your... I'm sorry. And his brother continued and said, I know your presumption and the evil of your heart for you have come down to do nothing but see the battle this is that anger this is that apathy that spirit that says to those walking in excellence you'll never do it you're all talk what are you going to do with that little stuff that's in your hands you're nothing you're nobody and you're all talk and Eliab Eliab assigns a motive to David that he couldn't possibly know. He says, I know what's in your heart. Sometimes you just need to stop and look at somebody and say, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. You don't know what's in my heart. David said, whoa, whoa, whoa. All I did was ask a question, and then David lifted up his head and continued to do what what God had called him to do. See, we fall into performance and perfectionism and excess when our focus is no longer pleasing the Father, but pleasing the people. We take our eyes off of God and we begin to put Him on the people, or sometimes we even begin to put our eyes upon that person looking back at us in the mirror. We're trying to overcompensate for some feeling of inadequacy that we may, may have had from a young child and we move out of excellence and into performance and perfectionism and excess. But we, when we take our focus off of God, we can also fall into another trap. And I call this trap the that's good enough trap. It's a mindset that says that's good enough. It's a different symptom to the exact same disease we can have a that's good enough mindset when we take our focus off of God as we steward our family because I know my children may need more from me and I know my family needs me to be a man or a woman that is daily encountering the Lord but you know what I'm serving Jesus they know I love them. I don't have to spend this time that's good enough when we take our focus off of God in our work or in our business, we can step into a that's good enough mindset. We can begin what has become popular today, quiet quitting. And it's a phrase that is is—it is a, a, an action that is so ubiquitous today that they have created an entire culture around it. Quiet quitting means showing up and doing just barely enough why because my focus is not on the lord my focus is on this company we can have a that's good enough attitude in our marriage we can have a that's good enough attitude with our health we can have a that's good enough attitude with our vehicles our home even our own hygiene the way that we take care of our bodies and it's ironic because as believers we spend our lives creating a place for the king We daily encounter the Lord. We come to church. We say, God, you are welcome in this house. We spend our lives creating a place to welcome the king, but then we live our lives like the king is never coming. If you knew that the king was coming over, you would operate in excellence. If you knew that the king was coming into your marriage, you would speak to your spouse differently. If you knew that the king was invited into your children and your relationship with your children, you would steward them differently. If you knew that the king was coming to church, you might run that vacuum a couple of extra times over the carpet. If you knew the king was coming, we'd operate in excellence. The king is coming. The king wants to be invited into your life. He wants to be invited into every part of our being and most of us in this room we reach for excellence at times but very few people dwell there. We have moments that we jump and we reach for excellence. But God wants to take us as a people to a place that we dwell in excellence. Worship team if you would come up. Let's go back to 1st Samuel chapter 17 beginning in verse 31 says, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him, because of Goliath, because of this giant that is fr- in front of us. He said, your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. You see, David was able to look back on a life that he lived dwelling in an excellent spirit. David had a history with God. See, David wasn't told by his father to go into the wilderness and steward those sheep. And David lay back against his tree and scroll Instagram while the bear and the lion took out the sheep that he was called to steward. No, David had lived a life of excellence with the Lord. David said, I I may not have much, but the things that I have in my hand, I will use what I have to do the best that I can with what God and my family and my father has given me to steward. And he looked back to that history, and he said to Saul, I slayed the bear. I slayed the lion. I can slay this Goliath. See, slaying this Goliath did not come from a place of unsurety with David. He had no reason to be fearful because he knew the fruit of excellence in his life. And David's fearlessness did not just come from... From nowhere. David's fearlessness wasn't just unearned fearlessness. David's fearlessness came from living a life of doing the best with what he had. And the excellence that he walked in gained the attention of the king. The excellence that David walked in took down the giants of his day. But David never walked in greater excellence than when he worshiped the Lord. Hmm. The Bible says that David is a man after God's own heart. David was a man, he had a lot of issues. David was one of my favorite people in the Bible because David had a lot of problems. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have a lot of problems? I can relate to David like many of us can because David, he didn't live a saintly life. He didn't live a life of perfection. He made a lot of mistakes. He made some big, big mistakes. But David said, God, what I have is this battered and bruised and sin-filled heart. But God, I'm going to give you the best that I can with what I have. And in all of David's stewarding well what had been given to him, he stewarded his father's sheep. He stewarded his battle with Goliath. Later in his life, he even stewarded well the entire nation of Israel. He was their king. He tried to do the best with what he had, all of the things that were given to him. He walked in excellence, but there was no place that he walked in greater excellence than in his worship to the king. He left nothing on the table. He gave it all. David's heart was turned toward the father. David's excellence left a legacy. God said, David, because of what you've done, I'm going to allow your son, Solomon, to build my temple, to build my dwelling place. David's life of excellence left a legacy for him. This morning, felt like the Lord wanted to invite us into a place of worship in excellence. Uh, We don't often equate the word excellence with worship. And honestly, as I was going into this value of excellence, I thought I would talk about different things. I thought it would be much more of a, a teaching on practicalities and how to do those things and you learn about that in huddles and in all different areas and spaces and all the details we talked about they matter but there there is no place that excellence matters more to God than in what we bring to him and our worship to him what I saw this morning in my spirit is that as we worship the Lord bringing God the best with what we have that he was going to break The spirit of apathy off of us. God was gonna break off the generational curses that rest upon some of us of living life with a that's good enough spirit. Of living life with a closed hand without the generosity that is required of excellence. God, I'm going to give you my all. I'm not going to be afraid. To my my place of business, I'm going to give you my all. Come on, just begin to worship him. To my family, I'm going to give you my all. Because I'm not giving this for anybody. I'm giving it to the Lord. The Lord never rejects what is given to him. Well, let's just begin to worship, Lord.